thank you for coming to this continuation of our Missions Day services. And uh, tonight we'll be hearing from our different mission points. And if you are out there somewhere in this planet looking at us from uh, one of our mission points, we are so glad to have you there and hope that you will watch us as we tell you about our work with you that uh, you may correct us or add to the things that we're saying so that we can keep in closer contact. When we talked with uh, Nick and Amy this morning, we found that we're just about a click of a button away from any point on the planet. And we are thankful that we can do that. And tonight we'll hear from uh, myself. I'll be talking about Ukraine. Uh, Buddy will be talking about Greece and, and uh, the Latin American missions and work Phil's doing. And Mark will talk about Heritage Christian University. David Burka about uh, the Willets, and also he will give the invitation at the proper time. Uh, several years ago, Steve Hale, with some other folks from this congregation and other places, began a work in Krasnomesk, uh, Ukraine, when the old Soviet Union uh, fell apart. And that work in many of those places continued today. Uh, if you've ever been to Ukraine, would you please stand up briefly? We have several of our members here. Uh, Kay Smith and uh, Ann Craddock went many years ago with uh, Steve Hale and began the works there that those who you see standing now have helped to continue. And uh, there's much more work to be done than Jerry's. You can sit now. Thank you. <laughs> and we appreciate all who have gone, and we appreciate the people of of Ukraine accepting us, and we have many to be thankful for there who have helped us with our transportation accommodations and and uh, everything else that we've tried to do for them, they've done for us also. Uh, turn, if you will, to Joshua, the uh, fifth chapter. I want to look at uh, verses 13 through 15 for just a moment. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, it says there, and it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua was preparing to lead the people of God in the battle against Jericho. He was going to battle for the Lord. And as our people go out into the world on the mission points, they go to battle for the Lord. Joshua had a question for the Lord. He says, what does the Lord, what does my Lord say to his servant? He could have said a lot of things. And the Lord tells him, take off your sandals for the place you are is holy. When we go to battle for the Lord, be it here in our own community, be it around the world, we go to battle for the Lord. And we need to remember that the place we walk in the Lord's footsteps is holy ground. And that is how we should behave as we go to work with others in other places on this planet that we call home. Also, if you would please turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses uh, 16 through 20. You know, we've, we've heard these verses already today, and we read them over and over, and we know that it says there to go, and we know that it means for me and you to go, be it down the street, across town, or across the world, or our nation, or wherever. So let's read those 
one more time. There's a point I'd like us to see. Mark, uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We, we know and we talk about going. We talk about baptizing people. We talk about making them disciples. But there's one part in there. It says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And this is a point that I've heard several times from people in the Ukraine when we've gone there. When we go to Ukraine, uh, the people are glad to see us. And they know we're Americans. And they know we want to spread the word of Jesus with them. The thing they don't want us to see, want to see from us, and they ask us not to do, they say, we don't want to be an American church of Christ. Don't bring the things, the habits and things that you do in America to us. We want to be Christians. We want to be the church of Christ. And this is a problem that's gone on for centuries. People go in to evangelize, and they evangelize not just with the word of God, but with the habits and the traits and the traditions of men that they take with them. And so wherever we go, be it down the street or across the world, we need to remember that we need to go and make disciples and baptize them, teaching them the things that they should know. But let's make sure that we are teaching them to observe all things that I, meaning Jesus, has commanded, and not the things that we would command or that we feel are best. Let us remember that we have a duty to our God and to his word to teach it in its fullness and simplicity in the right way. The church in Krasnomesk was started when the Union fell apart, Soviet Union, and much good was done, and the churches there have had many struggles through uh, various times. And I know in the last couple of years, we felt kind of bad because many of our number have lost jobs, and many people around us in communities have lost their homes and the things that they, they have. Uh, in the 80s, uh, when Melvin and I lived in southern Indiana, they had a recession. It was a recession, but to us it was a depression because we lost jobs and many other things too, and it, uh, we felt that impact. So what may be a depression to us may be something even worse for people in other places at other times. And inflation is rampant, and we saw from uh, Nick uh, uh, some of the things that they have to put up with there. The dollar doesn't buy as much as it used to when we started with some of the works. It takes more to get it done, and it takes more for us to pay our bills too. So we need to reconcile these things and still be able to help those people both at home, in our communities, our benevolence packages and things that we help people with, as well as supporting those across the world. Uh, the dollar, when I first went to Ukraine, was like, uh, would buy you like five lira, or grivna, <laughs> wrong country, not lira, that's Turkey. But uh, last year when we went, I think it was eight grivna to the dollar. So their, their grivna was a lot weaker against the dollar, and it's that way in some countries, and then we would come back, when we come back and from the Ukraine to home, we usually stop in some other country for a day, and we'd go to like a uh, European Union country. And so you go from the dollar buying a lot in, in Ukraine to uh, the dollar being worth about 
two-thirds of a dollar in the other countries. So, you know, we get a little shocked there, too. But we need to be, we need to recognize that we are trying to help people not only win their souls, but to keep their families together, to help them in ways they need. Uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in Ukraine, one of the problems we see, and it was made manifest to us this last year, our team usually goes sometimes in the summer, in the summer months, and this year, this past year, 2010, when the team got together and tried to decide what to do and where to do it and when, there were some problems, of course, with financial uh, difficulties. Some could not go because of that. There were problems in scheduling and so forth. So uh, it was decided that the team would not go and uh, that a couple of elders would go with their wives instead. So Tony uh, Huddleston, very graciously, he's, he's the leader of our, our team there. He asked for Melvin and I to go with him, which we were glad to be able to do. And uh, I was especially glad because I'd gone over there before, and Melvin never got to go with me. And so she got to see what I was talking about all these years. And uh, it, it was very gracious and good to have her with us. And we talked to the congregation there. And one of the things that is uppermost on their mind is to have a building of their own for the church. In Ukraine, which has a background of the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, uh, if a congregation, if a church does not have a building, it's not looked at as a legitimate entity. And the idea and ideal for the congregation in Krasner Mask, as with others, is to have a solid, permanent place of worship. And we've looked at this for several times over the years, and we word came to us that the church thought we did not care about their situation because we weren't helping them get a building. And so we've looked at that more fully. And although we've cared about it, evidently we haven't voiced that in the right way to them. So we've begun looking at that. And in fact, we tried to look into that situation while we were there this year. There was a building available, and uh, they showed it to us, and we looked at it and dug into the situation, found out the property had been for sale for, I think it was like $130,000, but the people had to go to Odessa or someplace else, and so they lowered the price to like eighty-five or six thousand, I think it was. And uh, the church thought this would be ideal. Uh, now you got to understand that the church meets, and they meet in an apartment that's four stories up in a building with no elevator. And several of the ladies in the church are, well, let's say they're a little bit older than I am, and I'm just a kid, but uh, some of them have difficulties in walking, and they have to catch a bus, they have to walk to a bus stop, they get on the bus, ride quite a distance, and get off the bus, and walk some more distance to get to the building, and then have to walk four stories up in any kind of weather. And this is not, not only is it not convenient, it's hard for them, and sometimes uh, weather conditions could make it dangerous. Uh, the place that we they had found for us to look at a building, keeping in mind that a lot of these uh, uh, church members are grandmothers, just happened to be on 60 Babushka Street. For those that you don't know, Babushka is grandmother. So it would have been appropriate for us to have bought them a building on Grandmother Street, but that did not, that did not happen, and uh, uh, we have tried to come up with some ideas of what might be good to help them. And it may take us... Uh, joining with other churches or congregations to find the funds to help purchase a building for them. 
Uh, it may be that we could uh, borrow the money and make it on payments. We don't know yet. Uh, Tony is in the process of talking to Larry Jackson, who's worked his congregation where he goes has worked with the church at Krasnermesk in the past, and uh, they also have purchased property in another city. So he's going to try to pick his brain for what costs are and what the procedure is for buying property. And hopefully within the next year or so, we can get that uh, congregation in a place where they can say, yes, we are the Church of Christ and we are located at and have an address for that. But we continue to need your prayers and we need your assistance and help in trying to contact this congregation and be acquainted with them. And as a matter of fact, we have something that has been started now. Uh, Clay and Gally, are you here? Stand up if you are. I don't see them. Clay and Gallia Britton, we asked them if they would be our correspondents with the church in Krasner Mask. And so they have come up with a newsletter for that congregation in which uh, you'll be able to look at this. There are some on the table out, out in the foyer, and uh, these will be made available for the congregation. And from time to time, uh, you may be asked to uh, get to know someone personally at the Krasner Mess congregation. We feel that the better we can communicate with our points of mission in other countries, the better able we will be to help them and understand their needs, and yet they'll be able to know people here and know who you are that uh, prays for them and loves them and supports them. And the people there do pray for us. Uh, we see our pictures on the wall of their, of their building when they meet. We see uh, their words to us telling us that we pray for you, that we're concerned, that we want to draw closer to you. And so their message to us here is to remember who God is, remember that he loves us as we know he does, and that uh, they're Christians too. And as they love us, we love them, but we need to show our love not only to them and to our local church family here, but also to each other and other places in the world. Thank you. I'm going to talk about our work in Greece and our work in Latin America. Um, I had the privilege of visiting Athens uh, three or four years ago, and I have about 653 pictures that I want to show you. And then I have 10 years of El Salvador trips to show. We don't have anywhere to go tonight, so we'll just settle back and, and uh, we'll, we'll see some things. If, on this first slide, that is the, the Parthenon, not the one in West End, but the one in Athens, Greece. And the scripture reference down there is Acts 17, 15 through 34. And that's the, uh, the account of Paul's visit to Athens. We talk about mission trips now. This was a mission trip that a Christian made 20 centuries ago. In many cases, the situation in Athens is similar to what Paul found. There's an entrenched religion there. Their religion was knowledge. Uh, the religion there now is, um, is Greek Orthodox. There's a lot of idol worship going on there. It's a very um, godless country, so to speak. Our missionaries there are Alexander and Eleni Merlitos. Uh, Alexander was in our pulpit back in either November or December, somewhere along in there, and he's been here before. Uh, 
next time he's here, take him over the corner and talk to him. Uh, he's a little difficult to hear from the, from the podium, but he's a very learned man. Uh, the, the background on Alex and Eleni is that they're both Greek. They're natives of that country. Um, they have been working in the field for 20 plus years. Eleni is a second generation Christian. Her mother got a Bible. She was born and raised Greek Orthodox, and she got a Bible from a peddler. And they started studying. And they realized that what they were doing was wrong. And this little study group of women established congregation there. Alex is a former merchant marine, sea captain, uh, piloted ships around the world. Uh, not these, not the kind of cruise ships that we go on, but oil tankers and things like that. And he met Eleni, and they became married. He was converted by Eleni's mother, and uh, he came to the United States and was trained to be a preacher in uh, Louisiana. They work at the Omonia Church of Christ. That was a hard one for me to say, Omonia. Um, that congregation is quite an eclectic group of uh, ethnic backgrounds. You have Greeks, Russians, Bulgarians, Ukrainians, Filipinos, Nigerians, Ghanans, and Americans, and others. It became kind of a place to draw people as the Soviet Union fell apart, and other countries had economic difficulty. Greece was doing well, and these, these religions, uh, or these backgrounds, moved into Athens because they had jobs. And the Omonia congregation took advantage of that situation to teach these people. Um, when their normal Sunday is they have a worship service in Greek, they have a worship service in Russian, worship service in Bulgarian, and at the same time, they have translation booths, and they're translating them in some of the other languages. Um, when, that, when they open their door on Sunday morning, they go in straight on through the evening with different services in different languages all day. The Omonia congregation is one of three churches of Christ in Athens. This is where Paul preached 2000, over 2,000 years ago, and there's only three churches of Christ in a city the 3.7 million people when you consider them the full metropolitan area. So they have quite a challenge there. It's an economically very expensive place to live, and if you've read the news the last couple of years, it's somewhat politically uh, unstable. Uh, they're having some uh, economic issues there that are causing some instability in both the government and the uh, other parts of the country. So we need to keep the congregation there at Omonia and Alex and Eleni and their children in our minds and hearts and prayers. We provide a, a small, uh, of their, small bit of their support. Uh, it's only a small portion. Uh, as I said, it, it's quite expensive to live there. This is not Athens. Uh, this is a, a view of Tonakatapeki. I'm changing subjects on you, so keep up with me here. We've moved down to El Salvador. Mark 16, 15 and 16 says, go into all the world. 
Well, we're not going to all the world, but we're covering several continents with our work. And El Salvador is part of Latin American missions. Uh, this is an outreach that was established in 1958 by the Forest Park Church of Christ in Valdosta, Georgia. Um, it does work in 10 countries, Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, Nicaragua, Peru, Guatemala, Venezuela, El Salvador, and last year, Chile. Um, they, they have a variety of different ways that people can help them uh, spread the word to the Spanish-speaking speaking people of Latin America. You'll notice they don't, they don't go to Brazil. Uh, they've decided they're going to focus on, um, on the Spanish-speaking. In, in, Port in uh, Brazil, they speak Portuguese. They have a variety of types of works, and, and Mount Juliet has been involved in this work for over 20 years, and uh, we've been involved in just about all of these. We help fund a, uh, a young man to go to preacher training school every year. Uh, mobile medical missions. We've had mobile medical missions in, we've had people from this congregation uh, go to Peru and Panama, El Salvador, Honduras, San Blas Islands, a lot of the places that, that uh, uh, Latin America missions with Forest Park goes. We have construction teams. We've done a construction project or two in Panama, and we've done a, a construction, actually two projects in El Salvador, one in San Augustine and one in St. Elena. Um, there's a printed ministry where they, they translate a lot of uh, material into Spanish, and they distribute it throughout the, the, the country down there. And as the note says there, we've been involved in, in all of these, these works. This is a, a shot from a, a medical clinic that we conducted last year in Tonocatepeque. Uh, it's fairly rudimentary. You've seen some of these pictures before, but you see here the waiting area for people to, to get in to see the doctors and the eye doctor. Of course, while that's going on, we have evangelists out in the neighborhoods, uh, one that you might recognize there. Uh, out knocking on doors and, and asking people if they want to have a Bible study, much like we do on our state side. Of course, the whole goal of what we're trying to do with a, with a medical thing is to address their physical needs and then address their, their spiritual needs and then baptize them into Christ. And here's one of the people being baptized last year. We focus, Mount Julia focuses on El Salvador. And we have since 2001 when uh, there was a devastating earthquake there. And Forest Park had not, didn't have a position in El Salvador. They had not been there before. But they heard about the earthquake. They knew that, that Mount Juliet had had a number of trips to Panama, but was interested in focusing on a particular area. And so they said, you want this whole country? Come on down and, and see what you can do. So we went down there in 2001. And uh, we've had... Ten campaigns down there, and in March we will have our 11th. Uh, you see the, the congregations that we have worked with down there. Uh, the two that are in green were churches or congregations that were established when we began our work. And St. Augustine was the first one, and their building was destroyed by the earthquake, and we helped construct a new building for them. The other congregations that are listed there 
are congregations that we have planted through our medical, mobile medical teams. In March, March the 12th, there'll be a group of us flying from Nashville Airport down to El Salvador. And we're going to work with the Colonial Cruise Congregation in Uslatan. It's a congregation that we've worked at a couple of times before. It will be a combination of evangelistic and medical campaign. Uh, the missions committee is funding one-third of each team member's uh, cost of, of the trip. They're responsible for the other two-thirds. And this year, we've got the largest group of uh, people from Mount Jewett that we've ever had. We have 39 people going. This is a, a shot of the team uh, from 2009. And if you count up the noses there, there's about 39 people there. Actually, it's about 42, but I didn't count the, the Latin Americans that are in there. So that's about the, the size of group that we have going from Mount Julia. And some of the faces you see are the ones going back again this year. These are the names. I don't know whether you can read those or not, but there's the 39 names of the people that are going to El Salvador this year. We have... 17 teens on the group. We have 14 first-timers. And our first-timers first aren't all teens. We've got some people going that uh, are parents of some of the people that, are, that have been on trips before. Um, it's an exciting group. I'm looking forward to, to going with them. Um, but familiarize yourselves with the names up there. And, and if you see them, give them a hug and tell them that you love them and you appreciate what they're doing. What more can you do? You've done an all, a whole bunch already, but you can pray for the people in El Salvador, particularly in the area around the Colonial Cruz congregation, that their hearts might be open to the word when we get there. Pray for the, the congregations that are in, the, in El Salvador. We talk about going down there and how hot it is. And we stay a week, and boy, we come back, and, and we're out of that heat. We don't have to worry about it anymore. They're there 52 weeks of the year. And they don't have the resources that we have. So pray for them year-round. Pray for the team that's going down, that they have safe travel, and they have success in what they're trying to do. Encourage those team members, as I mentioned a minute ago. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them how much you appreciate them. And if they come back, tell them you appreciate them coming back. Uh, also, as I mentioned earlier, they need to raise two-thirds of their funds, and they're still some members are trying to raise their funds. So if you have, a, have the wherewithal to help them, uh, you, you can help them by giving me a check for them with their name on it, and we'll, we'll take care of it. Now here's a, a shot going back to 2002. Uh, our one and only visit to San Francisco... Javier, I want to draw your attention. Whoops, wrong button. Bring it back. Ah, yeah, technology's wonderful. I was hoping to do my laser pointer, but there. I'm not going to try to point again. Look in the front row, about halfway across, and see this guy in a yellow shirt? Anybody know who that is? That's Felipe. That's Felipe Wagner. Don't look like the same kid, does he? But that's what he looked like 
when he went to El Salvador for the first time in 2002. I don't know whether it was his eight or nine trips of going to El Salvador or this group over here that made him look like he does now, but he don't look like he's 12 anymore. He's, he's grown old on us. Um, Phil's going to go on a trip with us. This, or he's, he's down there now, and he's going to be leading our trip. Um, and he sent me an, a letter, and I want to read that, the first part of it for you tonight. He says, Dear brothers and sisters at Mount Juliet, I wish I could be with you right now. It would be great to speak with you, hug you, and see your smiling faces. I want to say thank you. Thank you for all your prayers, encouragement, love, and support. Thank you for, to our elders and missions committee for supporting me so much. The fact is, I would not be in Panama right now without your overwhelming generosity, so many of you at Mount Juliet. What are the goals of, of Phil's mission? Well, first of all, he needs to learn the language. And as Nick and Amy found out in, in going to Brazil, the best way to learn the language is to be totally immersed in it. And that's what he's done. He's been totally immersed in Spanish. By, he's living at the Bible School of America there in Panama City with the Latinos, and they're talking Spanish. And so he's trying to survive by learning Spanish with that way. He... Uh, is training himself to be a leader for mobile medical teams. And he's, um, he's going to work with the, the children's home there in um, Panama City. And he is going to be uh, leading our team, scary as that might be, he's going to be leading our team when we go in March. Okay, go one more. I promise I was pushing the right button. Okay. <laughs> this is where we started training Phil on his trips to El Salvador. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what he was doing there, but he was, he was into it. And uh, through his, his trips, he learned to love the, the people down there and particularly the children. He left Nashville on December the 2nd and went to Nicaragua. And uh, he visited with the preachers and all there. He went with Jack Farber. And then he went from there to um, Panama. And he visited um, with um, the El Salvador. Actually, he went through El Salvador first. He did a, a scouting trip and visited with all of our preachers there in El Salvador. And um, he's been to the San Blas Islands to, to work there. And here's a picture of Phil on the San Blas Islands with a bunch of kids around him, which Phil is not happy unless he has a bunch of kids around him. And so there's some beautiful young people uh, from the San Blas Islands. They speak a language that is unique to those islands, and therefore the School of America has established a campus there uh, to train preachers, and they train them in their language. Um, and so Phil went out to visit that school and to visit those people. More on uh, Phil's mission and uh, what he's done. Um, he helped teach uh, some youth ministry classes at the school. He's had devos at different congregations. He's preached for several congregations. He's sang songs in Spanish. 
And he mentioned in his letter to me that uh, he finds it a whole lot easier to sing in Spanish than it is to preach in Spanish. So what he's doing is he's writing out his sermons in English, then he translates it to Spanish, has someone check what he's done, and then he delivers it. So he's coming a long way. Uh, there was a future minister's camp in uh, Panama City, and he taught at that camp. Um, his work with the children there at the children's home, he seems to talk about a lot in his letters and on his uh, Facebook site. Uh, the, the man on uh, your right is um, the house parent there, and the woman in the red is the house mother. They have about 15 children in the home, plus their own four boys. Um, and those children are either orphans or children that the government has placed there because of neglect. The uh, president of El Salvador's wife is very fond of this work, and occasionally they pick up the phone and call and say, can you take one more? And they just continue to take them. Coming up, Phil, as I mentioned, Phil's going to lead our uh, work in El Salvador. And he's going to Honduras uh, after that to scout out uh, that area for some trips later on this year. And he plans on being back in Mount Juliet by mid-May. End, end of May, sorry. How can you help? Contact Phil. Um, there's his email address. It's on the... the uh, bookmarks that we've got. You can follow him on uh, Facebook, help Phil Wagner uh, go to El Salvador. Uh, it's an interesting site. You'll see he's got over a thousand pictures out there of, of himself and, and the kids and the people down there. Um, you, you can help him financially too because Phil has to raise his own salary. It, didn't, it wasn't that he got hired by Forest Park to go do this work. They're providing him the framework, but he has to provide uh, the financial side of it. And Phil closed his letter to me saying, I'm praying for you all the time. I love all of you. I'm praying for Philip and Laurel and all the young people. I love all of you and miss you. I can't thank you enough for the positive support you've given me. Thank you for your prayers, emails, and words of encouragement. If you have any questions, you can email me or send me a Facebook message. I'll try to send out a weekly mission report of my goings-on, so let me know if you re want to receive that. If you want any more information, have questions, thoughts, comments, or just want to say hey, don't hesitate to reach out to me. May God bless you all. Speak a good word for Jesus today. Much love, and thanks always, Phil Wagner. And he put down here a, a line of one of the songs that we sing uh, on our trips. And it says, If I die... Let me die in the service of the Lord. Oh, one other thing. Outside where we have the El Salvador presentation, uh, the table out there, there is an um, easel with Phil's pictures from the 10 years that he's been in the work. And it's interesting to look at the many faces of Phil and how he's changed in the 10 years that he's done this work. Thank you. Good evening.
Give him a minute to get my slides up. Here we go. My subject is Heritage Christian University, formerly International Bible College, located at Florence, Alabama. They've been training ministers and saving souls since 1971. Brother Charles Coyle was the first president. Brother Dennis Jones is the current and second president. Please visit their website at www.hcu.edu. They train preachers that go all over the world, not just to the United States. They've got preachers all over the world. So a lot of these mission points, they have probably trained the preacher that's there or trained a preacher that's been there. 600 preachers leave the ministry each year. Numerous pulpits across the United States and the world do not have a located preacher. Who will fill the shoes of the 600 preachers we lose each year in the United States alone? Plus, who will fill the other vacant pulpits around the world? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. That's Romans 10, 15. Heritage Christian University's solution to help this preacher shortage is to provide a premium education for mature, motivated, disciplined people who are committed to developing their God-given talent to advance the cause of Christ. Heritage Christian University focuses on practical experience in campaigns that move the classroom to the field and Christian service and allow students practical experiences in ministry. Academic excellence is essential in increasing educated uh, edu and let me start over. I'm sorry. Academic excellence is essential in an increasingly educated society. Cultural literacy is expected, and polished communication skills are essential. The outstanding faculty at Heritage Christian University holds a unique blend of academic rigor, real-world experience, and a passion for evangelism. They lead Heritage Christian University students on stateside and foreign evangelism campaigns during the fall, spring, and summer breaks. The flexibility of Heritage Christian University is to meet the needs of as many as possible, and that is demonstrated uh, with on-campus students in undergraduate and graduate studies, as well as online courses through their online learning programs. Students' semester hours can be varied to accommodate either a full-time or part-time students. The numbers on this slide will show you that a student at HCU is getting a practical hand on evangelism uh, through experience. They preach sermons in a wide uh, area around the university. They teach classes. They lead singing. And they do personal studies. They're involved in correspondence studies and make numerous visits. They participate in benevolence activities uh, of congregations that they work with while they're students in school. They're expected to be a part of a congregation there in the local area and participate in their work as well as being a student. This, the results of the works from January through December of 2010, that was last year, resulted in 1,558 prayer requests, 214 restorations, 218 baptisms. I think this is a commendable expression of the dedication of these students to bring the Lord's army uh, uh, as evangelists. 
One of the things that we do here at Mount Juliet is help them with their tuition. Tuition and, and fees and lodging for a full-time student run about $13,000 per year with a grade point average of 2.75 and participating in a campaign during the semester, full-time students receive $2,000 per year in scholarships. Students are encouraged to seek other available scholarships. Mount Juliet scholarships are to support Heritage in helping them to fund these scholarships that their students desperately need. Jake Leonard from Purlington, Mississippi, is a sophomore at Heritage Christian University this year. He's also working while he's there as a youth minister assistant at a Florence congregation. He's receiving a $1,000 per year scholarship from Mount Juliet. And we've all come to know and love the people at Purlington, those of us that went down there and worked and helped those people at Purlington. I hope you have visited the Heritage University display today. There's lots of literature there that you're free to pick up any of it, take it with you, and learn more about that university. And if you have any questions about this university and its mission of training preachers, please see me after service or you can call me any time later. Heritage is always interested in anyone that desires to become a preacher. If you know someone that needs to preach uh, for the ministry, please let me know, and I will direct them to the right person at Heritage University. I want to especially thank you for the moments that you've allowed me to give you a glimpse of Heritage Christian University and the mission that they have of training ministers to preach the gospel all over the world. Okay. An interesting side note to uh, Buddy's presentation about Greece is that Alexandra and uh, Alandi, when they got married, they went to the altar, they got married, immediately they got on a boat, and they stayed on a boat for two years before they ever saw land again. So ladies, you're going to marry this guy, make sure you know how long the honeymoon is going to be. But Alexander, uh, very interesting guy, and that's not why I'm up here. Why I'm up here? I'm up here to talk to you about Guinea, West Africa. Now, that's my subject, but really what I'm up here for is this group of kids right over here. I'm hoping that sometime this morning or sometime this evening, something has touched you guys to make you want to explore this world. This world is huge. There's places to go. The Lord can use you anywhere. I hope something will will spark your interest uh, to encourage you to get into the mission field. We could use you. I'm here to talk about Guinea, West Africa, a country in West Africa, a population 10 million people. It's one of the poorest countries in all the world, and I'm going to read you something here in just a minute that will explain that a little more fully. Things are very primitive uh, in this country. Look at this next slide. Check out this goat. Look real close on the, on the car. Where's my little slider? Push it one more time. Look at that. In that country, you buy a goat, you put him on the roof, and you go for a vacation. So there they go, off, off to wherever. I, I don't know. A very, very poor country. Brad and Esther Willits are, is the couple that we are supporting. We've been supporting them since 1988. And they've gone to Africa uh, with, a, with a heavy heart uh, to teach the Susu people, a language group of about a million people, 
the Bible. They wanted to teach them their Bible and show them the Bible in their own language. Now, they have two children, three children. One is John Mark, their oldest son. He was, grew up in, in Guinea, West Africa. He came back to the States, went to college, married a doctor. Now, a doctor you would think would want to, you know, spend a lot of money into their education, would like to stay in Houston, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, and maybe reap some of the benefits of all the dollars they put into being a doctor. But no, as soon as she got her MD, they headed back to Guinea, West Africa. And so they are there this day working in that field. Think about their children. Where do you think their children will go someday? Generation to generation to generation. They have two daughters also, Laura and Sarah. Laura lives in East Texas near Estel's mom. And Sarah is married and lives in Washington. They also have a son they adopted. His name is Fossine. Uh, maybe some of you will recall the story of Fossine. Uh, I understand that Estel came upon, she was in a car driving, she came upon an accident where three children had been in this accident. Two of them were killed, but Fossine was not. He was near death. But Estel took this child in and raised this child and brought him up and eventually adopted him. And now Fossine is in the States and going to college. So uh, we hope to have him here at Mount Juliet one of these days. Hope he'll, co hope he'll come through. Now, I, for me to get up here and tell you about what's going on in Guinea, West Africa, I could do that maybe, but let me tell you somebody that could really tell you what's going on. It's them. They sent this beautiful, beautiful uh, update of what's going on. And I'd like to read this to you. I apologize for just reading, but I think this will really give the flavor of what's going on in their lives. And first I want to talk about Estel and what she's doing. Listen to this. The 1st of September, while taking milk to one of our orphans, we were told about a set of twins who had been brought into the capital city from the village. Their mother had died and their aunt was trying to take care of them with her limited means. We realized that the babies were too weak to cry. Both weighed only four pounds, and they didn't have the strength to suck. As is so common here, they were going to die. I brought them home and began feeding them with eyedroppers around the clock. That may seem hopeless to you, but I've seen it work, and praise God, the twins have continued to grow and are perfectly healthy. Last Saturday, while distributing milk, we were told of a set of triplets whose mother had died at childbirth. When we finally found them, we found they were all dehydrated and malnourished. We put them in the hospital for the night to rehydrate them by IV. We brought them home the next morning and began feeding them around the clock. They are identical triplets, each with six fingers and six toes, just like their mother had. We had tied different color strings on their wrist to tell them apart. Now listen, listen to this. If this doesn't break your heart, you don't, you don't have a heart. I know you do. Listen to this. Over the past two months, the grandparents, listen to this, the grandparents have had to resort to begging to buy them some milk. The milk was never enough, and they had to watch their grandbabies get smaller and smaller. Then someone told him, hey, there are some Christians in Conakry who give away milk to orphans. And guess what? They came to Brad and Esther Willits. They got the kids 
back home and that there's three more lives that have been saved because the Christians are giving away milk to the orphans. Praise God. And you guys are supporting that. When you, make your, when you have a contribution on Sunday morning, a part of that goes to, to, to help Brad and Esther Willits. While the triplets were in the hospital, the doctor told me of another set of twins who needed milk. When she had them come to the hospital, the two long, lanky babies were screaming and trying to eat the fist because of their hunger. I learned that they had been triplets, but one had already died. That made me think of my own adopted son, the only survivor of triplets who had lost their mother at childbirth. That's fascinating. Okay, here's her last paragraph. Here's my problem. How do I look at a starving baby in his grandparents' or aunt's arms and tell them, I'm sorry, I don't have any milk for your baby. I just can't do that. The word is out that in this country where Christianity is a minority religion, that Christians are giving milk to orphans. Thanks to your generosity, we are presently helping 32 children with food and medical needs. Some of those are getting old enough to eat rice for their family, but others are on the way. It takes $500 to provide for their needs from birth until they are weaned. We count on your contributions. We're always trying to find some way to generate income to save these children. Please, please pray for us that the God of widows and orphans will supply. Will supply. Esther Willis is doing an unbelievable job over there. Her heart is so open. And she's being filled up by helping these children. Why we really sent Brad and Estel over there was not for Estel to feed the orphans, but that's just a byproduct of, of what they do. The real reason we sent them there was for Brad and for him to translate the Bible. And let me read a couple of paragraphs from what he says. He says, today when I read the email, tears swelled up in my heart. An incredible glee came to my eyes. Your deposit for the printing has been received, and the text of the Susu New Testament has been sent to the printer. After 21 years, can it finally be that day? I've been telling people for years that we're almost finished, we're almost finished, but now it has been finished. When we, are, take, on, when we take on the task of illuminating Satan's darkness among a people group, we should not be surprised that he makes the task humanly impossible. As a spiritual power, he pulls out all the stops to bring us to failure. Isn't that true for all of us? In reality, he simply drives us to our knees where we ask, where we ask our powerful Father to help us to stand, to keep us going. One more verse, one more chapter, one more book, one more checking process, and the Father is faithful to see us through to the end, to this day. The, the printer promises um, have been fulfilled. The garage is now full of Bibles. And he says, my dream is that in three months after that, the garage will be empty and the books will be scattered into every village, ten for every village, so that they can all read the story as the books find their way into the homes of these people. The author, get that? When these, when these books find their way to their homes, the author, who's the author? God Almighty himself. The author will be there as well. I do not, do not know how he works, but I know he does. Thank you for helping us to this point. Thank you for praying with us that the miracle of transformation will take place. Thank you for believing his word will not come back, will not come back void. Brad Willis is an awesome young man. 
that's been in this field for been in the mission field for years and years and years. But he's done a great, great work. He's gone to Africa. He's become one of them. He's not a guy that goes in for a, does a week missionary trip. He's been there for 20 years. His skin is white. Theirs is black. But they are family. They are one in that group. And he knows these people. This has been a great day, hasn't it? It's been a great, great day. Now, we're almost through. You guys watching your watch. We're almost done. It's been a great day. The burden of sin is heavy. The burden of sin is very, very heavy. I'm reminded of a book called Pilgrim's Progress. As Pilgrim, as a guy named Christian left the city of destruction and heading to the celestial city, the preacher told him to get out. He said, you need to get out of the city and head to the celestial city. And as he made his journey toward the celestial city, he had this huge burden on his back. Huge burden on his back. And it was heavy, and it was weighing him down. And sin was, was a real problem for him. It was only when he came face to face with Jesus Christ did that burden fall off his back. God says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But the weight of sin is very, very heavy. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, I pray that you won't walk through those doors and leave. Don't leave this auditorium until you get right with Jesus Christ, until you put him on in baptism. Like Don Humphrey's story this morning, you don't know what's going to happen in, in one minute from now. I just hope that your soul is right. God is so good. The church is so good. It's the only way, folks. It is the only way to live. We'd love to baptize you tonight if you would let us do that. We would love to do that. If you have been baptized and things have gone wrong and you need the prayers of the church, we'd love to pray with you also. So at this time, if you'd like those needs, please come as we stand and sing.